Welcome back to this week's podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today's guest is Marco Friedito. Marco graduated from Franklin with a degree in international banking and finance in 2001. He has a strong background working in wealth management, liquefied natural gas, renewable energy, as well as marine and logistics industries. Marco is also a founder of two fully privately owned companies based in Egypt and Italy. I'm really excited to learn more about Marco's entrepreneurial journey along with his time at Franklin. But welcome, Marco. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Margaret. Such a pleasure to join you and uh, still feel part of the uh, Franklin community. I really love that. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, Let's get into it. So, you know, post-grad, you immediately got hired at UBI Banking and worked there for almost seven years. And I was kind of wondering, like, what attracted you to banking and what was it like immediately entering the workforce post-graduation? Sure. Uh, Well, first of all, I hope you have time because I'd like to go into detail so that our graduates uh, will will understand that uh, sometimes not everything that we plan goes as planned. Because um, I uh, um, decided that I was going to be a banker uh, back in high school, actually, in ninth grade when I was 14. And um, I directed my studies uh, since ninth grade towards uh, uh, banking. So I was taking accounting classes, uh, uh, IB business uh, in, uh, in high school. So when I, when I came to Franklin, obviously Switzerland is uh, a place that offers many opportunities uh, after graduating to join banks. Uh, different kinds of banks, you know, wealth management, investment banking, uh, fund management. So what happened is actually um, when uh, when I was uh, uh, presenting, I didn't do a thesis. I did an internship in Lugano in uh, one uh, one of the uh, fund management companies, uh, which actually helped me um, already understand how the the banking world worked and uh, i actually got hired when i was still in franklin really? not after graduating yes oh, wow. yeah i uh, i got hired um about a week or 10 days before i actually uh, presented my uh, internship in in franklin and the the uh, the job was actually in geneva with a swiss italian bank as a wealth manager, so a high position with uh, uh, a very attractive salary. And uh, what happened is I was very excited because that was, I think, around uh, um, June or July. And, uh, and uh, um, on uh, 2001. So what happened is actually the day of 9-11, I, 9-11, 2001, which is a day that we all remember, I was actually flying from Lugano to Geneva to uh, meet my colleagues, which I was supposed to join as soon as the Swiss authorities would have changed my residency permit from B to C, from a studying permit to a work permit. Um, And uh, on September the 13th, the federal government of Switzerland actually uh, suspended all these uh, uh, requests until further noticed because the world just uh, plummeted 
in a dark moment. So I'm, I'm giving you this little background story because this is what happens to a fresh graduate who gets hired before actually graduating uh, and then finds himself with, without a job because of something that neither you nor your employer can handle, which is uh, a, a measure taken by a government uh, to uh, suspend all these work permits because you know we, we entered uh, in a new era of um, security checks, background checks. So my reaction was that I went back to my apartment in uh, Lugano, in uh, Via Besso. Uh, I, I lived on campus for a while, then I lived off campus. And uh, I took my CV, um, went to Franklin, asked a, uh, one of the professors to help me reformat my, uh, my CV. And this is what, what I liked about Franklin. The, the international community that we have both within the faculty and the students uh, actually helps you in this. And, and because this professor asked me, where do you want to send your CV? I told him everywhere in the world, from Singapore to Sao Paulo in Brazil, to uh, uh, Canada, to Luxembourg, to London. I said, you know, we're, we're entering an unknown uh, moment in our lives. Whatever I will find as a job, I will take. Which brings me now to joining uh, Ubi Banca, uh, Italian, which was at the time called Banca Lombarda. Uh, and, and, you know, put yourself in my, in my shoes that I was already thinking that I was going to be this uh, big wealth manager in Geneva, uh, very young, 21 years old. And um, at the interview I had with the managing director of uh, Ubibanca in Luxembourg, uh, he told me, you know, I only have one vacancy, which is in the back office. And I said, okay, I'll take it. Yeah. He said, okay, do you want to know the financial package? I, I'll take it. Just let me work, you know, make me join the bank. Uh, I was supposed to be a wealth manager. I'll start from the back office, which I think it's even better because uh, I will start from the bottom. And, uh, and I remember I told, uh, I told uh, my, my uh, which then became my managing director, I told him, don't worry, just let me in the bank and I'll move up in my career. <laughs> and that was uh, a Thursday. And he told me, can you be at the office on Monday? I told him, sure, which was in Luxembourg. And I was living in Switzerland, moving to Milano. And I told him, yeah, sure, no problem. So what I did is I went to my hometown, got some papers that they wanted, flew to Luxembourg. And on Monday morning at 8 a.m., I was in the bank, which um introduced me to the uh, corporate world uh and where i stayed for those six and a half years actually because i spent the last six months with hsbc and that's where i understood that uh, i shouldn't be an employee anymore but i should be an entrepreneur that's so uh, what it was like to, to answer your question to go from uh, franklin to joining a bank where you stay uh six and a half years uh, was a unique experience because uh, I was supposed to have another career path, uh, which I don't know today 
where where I would be, you know, like the sliding doors movie. Uh, and and uh, 9-11 happened. I end up in another country at another job uh, where I had a beautiful career in, in the bank. Uh, and, uh, and where I learned a lot because moving up the ladder in the bank, I went from the back office to the credit department. So I, I really applied what I learned in college in real life because I started seeing balance sheets. And you know, when you're in a class at Franklin and you do the exercises, you know, the balance sheets always work out. Yeah. But in real life, <laughs> you, need to, you need to really look at them in, in details. And then from the credit department, I went into wealth management, but then I had the experience of the back office and the credit department. So when I would uh, invest my client's money, I reached a, a point where I had $472 million under management, under direct management, uh, which included uh, leveraging, which included uh, derivatives. Uh, so I really combined the experience I had uh, from my college years to my professional career. And, uh, and when I wanted to get some information in investing in a specific country, you know what? I always had someone from Franklin there that I could call. Right, that's amazing. <laughs> that's to answer your question. That's such a beautiful story, honestly. And also, okay, so how did you find somewhere to live in Luxembourg when you just went there on the Monday? Or were you kind of just going with it I uh, went uh, obviously in 2001 the use of the internet was not as uh, as it is right now yeah uh, and uh, so they there weren't uh, all these uh, services without mentioning their names that could uh, provide uh, a place to stay uh, we had no whatsapp or these things what I did is I took my suitcase I flew to Luxembourg I managed to get there in the morning and uh, I uh, looked on a paper map where the bank was and I found a hotel within walking distance. I went to check in and I told them that I would be staying probably for a week by the time I would find uh, an apartment. Yeah. Uh, and then on Monday morning, I asked my colleagues, which 95% um, of them were expats from Italy. I told them well, who are the agencies that uh, um, provide uh, housing. So the, the advices that I would get were all types of advices. You know, if you want to save money, you can go live in France or Belgium or in Germany and commute every morning. Uh, and I said, um, you know, I'll calculate it, you know, with a, with a pen and paper. And I said, no, I'll be living in Luxembourg. I want to be a Luxembourgish resident. Um, and, uh, and I found a beautiful apartment in the same building where my uh, colleague was, which then became my director after uh, four years. So, uh, so you know, when you, when you travel abroad, the sense of community between people from the same countries um, becomes much more enhanced. So, you know, everyone helps. Plus, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was young, yes, but it seemed like I had a bit more of street experience than my colleagues. So uh, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't really that hard 
to uh, to relocate to Luxembourg. That's so amazing. That is such a good story. And also, you mentioned that you worked in Lugano during your time at university here at Franklin. And I was wondering, what was it like? One, the hiring process in Lugano, especially as an Italian. I wonder if that was an easy transition. And also, what was it like also balancing work and school, you know, having an internship while you were doing university? Um, I'll tell you. Uh, first of all, the internship was uh, during uh, the uh, summer months, ah, okay. so June, July, and August. Okay, so I was balancing my my uh, summer classes. I always liked uh, um, to. Uh, I took all summer semesters in uh, in Franklin, so I finished in three years rather than four because Lugano in uh, the summer is amazing. Uh, Franklin in the summer is even more amazing. Uh, you know, you have some exchange students, you have the, the semester, it's summer semester abroad students, uh, uh, which was amazing. So what happened is actually, how did I get into, into that company? So that company, the year before, had approached directly Franklin. And they had asked for um, some uh, two junior analysts to set up the, the fund. So uh, a, um, one of my friends, uh, was uh, selected to do that. And then the summer after, they needed someone who spoke um, Italian, English, and who had a knowledge of the Middle East. So being half Egyptian helped me. Yeah, uh, yeah and who could, uh, you know, who could uh, uh, travel with a car in Italy as well, often. And I always loved to, uh, to drive. So it wasn't uh, hard to balance because obviously when you're 19, 20 years old, if you sleep five hours a day or four hours a day, you're fine. Now, now that I'm 40, I, I sleep uh, between uh, eight and nine hours a day. Um, but it was, it was amazing because I could combine what I was learning in, in class with the actual real life. This was amazing. I think this is, I chose to do an internship rather than do a thesis because I really wanted to get my hands on real life experiences rather than do a research or a job. No, I wanted to actually work. And the best thing about it, I was getting paid. Yeah, that's super nice. <laughs> I, I think I was getting paid even very well. I can imagine. I, I heard rumor that just working at Migros, the baseline salary an hour is... 27 francs an hour so i can only imagine yeah so so uh, no no it was uh it was very very nice so uh, i attended my first sort of uh, client meetings when i was uh, during my internship obviously you sit down you don't say anything but you see how a fund manager interacts with the client and you take notes and then you ask them why did you say this why did you not say this because at the end of the day it's a lot about experience. So when you meet a client and you have a fund that is underperforming uh, compared to the market, how do you tell the client that you're underperforming? Uh, so all of these things uh, are very nice to live hands-on rather than uh, read them on a book and you know overthink, which is something I still do right now. When I have a meeting, I don't prepare the meeting based on the assumption of what the other person will say. I do my homework 
And I actually try to conduct the meeting myself because I know what I will say and I know the topic. And I've always learned that if you don't have the answer, you can always say, I'll get back to you on that. You don't have to come up with an answer, which then will put you in a weaker position in a negotiation, in uh, a client meeting, uh, in business development, which is actually what I do right now. I do negotiations and business developments every single hour of the day. Fun, fun. That's a, that's a really good tip. I, I feel like that also transfers into normal conversation too when you're asking questions and you, know, you can take that pause. But um, that's, super, that's super cool. I'm actually staying here over the summer for a month. I'm graduating in May, but I'm staying here for um, a month because I want to know what it's like being here in summer because I've heard it's fabulous. So I can't wait. <laughs> Lovely, lovely. And I'll tell you something about the negotiation. When you go to the grotto and have your meal, what, not when you're paying, but when you're actually being served your dish, that's a negotiation because, you know, you can get a little more beans, a little less beans. So it's how you interact with the person that will actually serve you the food. That's a negotiation. Yeah. Okay, so people always think that negotiations are um, a negotiation between two parties based on money. No. Negotiations are, even in your personal lives and relationships, those are negotiations. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, if you're nice, you will get more bacon. If you're not nice, you're not going to get it. So. But, but nice alone doesn't work. You need to be nice yeah. and smart. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I wish it was just being nice. <laughs> um, exactly. So, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of talk about in 2018 when you founded your company, um, Free Energy LTD, um, and find out a little bit more about that and kind of what your biggest takeaway was about starting your own business. And then also if you could kind of just explain the uh, title like you did before we began the call, because I think that's really a cute touch. So all yours. Tell sure. Me <laughs> All right, so when, uh, when I joined uh, uh, HSBC as a wealth manager for the last six, six months of my career as a wealth management, uh, Lehman Brothers went bankrupt. So financial markets were in a meltdown. Uh, what happened is that I was actually making money for my clients. Nice. And uh, I was getting excited that I was making money for my clients. Until I uh, thought to myself, why would I want to make my clients make money when I can try to make money myself? Um, I am 28. I'm not married. I don't have kids. Therefore, I don't have commitments. Um, I'm a nomad. So uh, I, I'm not really um, here in Luxembourg to stay. I can leave tomorrow morning and go wherever I, I want. So I started to think about my exit strategy. And uh, I came to Egypt to visit my mother. Uh, and when I came to Egypt to visit my mother, uh, there was a uh, protest by uh, uh, a group of citizens because the price of rice had increased exponentially. And in that protest, uh, I believe 14 people were killed. Um, that hit me because I was, a wealth manager 
pushing up prices of commodities. Yeah. Rice, onions, wheat, oil, without really seeing the commodity itself. You know, I was doing future contracts a lot. And on the commodities, I was doing a lot. And I was making my clients make a lot of money. So the combination of I'm making other people make money and uh, I, I might be someone bad because uh, I'm pushing up commodity prices made me realize that I was supposed to be doing something on my own, uh, which combined the people, the planet and profit. Yeah. So my, my three, my three P's, uh, Therefore, I, I uh, decided that I would uh, quit the banking world, although I did it a bit in a smart way. I managed to get myself fired from HSBC. <laughs> so I took an unemployment benefit as a wealth manager for 12 months from the state of Luxembourg while I was setting up my company. Nice. Because you always need to think how how will you pay your bills? Exactly. Minor detail, you know. <laughs> so so uh, this is this is why I did and and uh, what happened is I went to my mountains house. I locked myself up on the mountains in Italy for three months, and I said, okay, what will I do? And uh, I said, okay, let me start from a point as as a banker. I do a lot of research. I have access to a lot of information. Um, so I, I saw that the world uh, was doing something called the green shift, you know, more sustainable business, uh, renewable energy, waste management, whatever was linked to the environment. Um, and I said, oh, in Egypt, we kind of have a lack of electricity, but we have an abundance of sun, wind, waste, and uh, why don't I open a company that works in the environment or renewable energy or whatever in Egypt? Mind you, I'm, I'm a finance graduate. I'm not an engineer. So uh, I, uh, I told my parents um, that I was going to move back to uh, Egypt. Uh, my mother was against it because, you know, she said, you have a banking career. Uh, what, what, what are you thinking? And, and, I, and she's like, why are you coming back to Egypt? You know, this is a closed system because we had, the, we had a regime under Mubarak, which was not very much open to people coming from abroad or people coming from outside that circle. Okay. Yeah. While, while my, my dad and brother who lived in Italy, who live, still live in Italy, they said, you know, whenever you put something in your head, you, you actually do it because you decided to become a banker when you were 14. So we support you. We don't know what you will be doing, but we support you. So I uh, took everything I had. I came to Egypt and I had to come up with the name of my company. And I wanted to link it to me. I uh, wanted to link it to the energy environment. So I said, you know, my last name is Frigido. So let's do free energy, Frigido energy. But when you read it, it you can see it as friendly energy, as free, uh, you know, uh, free as in 
without money energy. So I, I really liked the the name. And I as soon as I came to Egypt, I registered it. And I made a limited liability company, uh, which I still own 99% of it. Uh, and uh, according to the law, you need a second partner. So I uh, asked my mother to hold 1% of the company. So I wouldn't have anyone from outside because there was no legislation. There was no renewable energy program in Egypt. And I think that my business model uh, was ambitious and advanced for people to uh, join me on board. And then I wanted to be able to be taken all the decisions myself. So I set up the company. And after eight months, the first Egyptian revolution hit, which, uh, which was a hit. But then I, I remember and I reminded myself that uh, even when I wanted to become a banker, uh, I had a, a major bump. So that actually charged me up and uh, made me um, gain some time to understand also what will I be doing in the energy business because energy business is vast. Uh, the supply chain is vast. So do you want to be uh, an equipment manufacturer? Do you want to be a project developer so you invest and own the power plant? Do you want to be an electricity distributor? Uh, what, what do you want to be? Uh, a business development and consultant. So the supply chain has many fields that you can play in. Um, the revolution hit, or obviously 2011, there was nothing that we could do. And uh, in uh, 2012, that was a uh, uh, landmark year for us because we landed a uh, contract as commercial agents of one of the largest wind turbine manufacturers in the world uh, to bid in a project to uh, uh, build, own, and operate. Uh, build and operate, sorry, not build, own, and operate. Build and operate uh, a wind farm that at the time was worth about $180 million. So that, that was uh, uh, our official entrance. Uh, as free energy in the Egyptian renewable uh, uh, energy um, industry, which uh, still makes us be in it. Uh, and uh, I'll, now I'll make you laugh because people still ask me today, we still don't understand what your company does. And, and my answer is, as long as you have that confusion, it means I'm doing it well. So that you don't you don't copy me. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of other companies came up, and and you know they they uh, they like to have a uh, public appearance. While I don't like to have a public appearance, honestly, uh, too much, uh, because at the end of the day, you know, the seed that I have as a banker, it's still there. I look at the profit at the end of the day. I don't really look at uh, the number of employees, the uh, revenues, the uh, uh, big titles on the papers, uh, awards. Uh, no, I don't, I don't look at that. At the end of the day, I look at uh, making a profit and uh, try to uh, advertise it as, uh, as least as possible. Well, so 10 years later, 
you actually came up with another, you developed another um, company called Freemar, which helps marine service industries. And what made you kind of transition or how, how did you, you know, get onto this venture? The question is, uh, is very nice and the answer is much more simpler. As, uh, as a family here in uh, Egypt, uh, we owned a shipping company. Mm. Okay, my, my parents had a shipping company. So uh, um, what happened is we already had the network. And, uh, and uh, the, idea, uh, the idea was just, uh, you know, I see an opportunity to work as business developers in, uh, in this field. Uh, and uh, I talked to my dad. And I asked them, you know, I, I uh, actually, my, we, I'll tell you something. We had this conversation uh, that we were, I think, in Morcote. Oh, you know, on, on the lake. Yeah, we went to have risotto yeah. at the restaurant uh, there. And I told them, listen, Dad, I have this idea. Uh, and I, and I, ex- I explained my idea. And my dad said, you know, I'm... I, I'll help you, but you know, I don't feel like working anymore. You know, I, I like to be retired, but I know my dad. The moment the company is up and running, he'll be the first one to, uh, to uh, help. Yeah. So what happened is um, I opened the company using the same concept as free energy. Uh, this time, free mare is frigido marco, free mare as in mare, Italian, the sea. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I never knew I had that artistic uh, side in me. Yeah, it's funny. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, uh, I like to link my, my name to, uh, and play a bit with, uh, with it. Uh, so I, I uh, founded the company, Freemar, and uh, the first thing I did is I, uh, uh, my father uh, reached out to an old friend of his, who are um, ship owners, um, they own uh, tugboats. Um, I'm sure you are aware of the, uh, the issue that we had here in Egypt in the Suez Canal where we had a vessel sideways. So yep. all the work that needs to be done is actually done by tugboats, hmm. uh, the pull and push. So basically we, we signed an agency agreement uh, where it's, it's like an exclusive agency agreement because we're, we're more uh, family friends. So we are an extension of uh, a group that owns uh, um, tankers, uh, tugboats, and barges. And uh, right after we, we signed that, a few months later, we, uh, we brought in um, a very nice contract which is uh, the shipping, so the transfer of the components of an oil rig that is being built in Louisiana in the United States, but these components are built in Italy and they are too big to be transferred on the road. So they have to be transferred via sea from the east coast of Italy to the west coast of Italy. So you have to circumnavigate all of Italy and you have a barge with a tugboat that does it. So we, we did that uh, work 
and uh, and then you know we we uh, the the Freemar basically handles uh, the the uh, some of the business that we have in Libya in uh, Saudi Arabia and that we are now uh, building in Egypt here again. So our target right now is in 2021 to bring uh, between three and four tugboats here in Egypt. Uh, obviously, after this incident at the Suez Canal, there is much more need and uh, we will be doing a, a different business model. So this is what I actually do. I, I build business models and financial models in, in the companies. Um, and in order to be competitive, we will probably have Egyptian crew on board. Uh, so Freemar will be actually uh, armoring. It's called armoring the, the tugboats. Uh, but Free, Freemar does also something else. Because uh, remember, I always told you, I have that seed of banking in me. Yeah. So I, I, I do uh, a commodity brokerage activity, but with the actual physical commodity. Okay. Okay. So obviously the, the, the pandemic kind of uh, threw everything up in the air, but we are, you know, bringing it all back together again. Uh, the thing is that the experience as an entrepreneur in free energy now makes me do all the proper calculations when I have to do uh, a new financial projection. So I'm much more realistic uh, while being utopic in, in free energy. And then you see that what you plan as, uh, as an entrepreneur doesn't really go as planned most of the times. Huh? Now, you, you know, this experience helps me uh, much more in, uh, in doing what I, what I do. Yeah, no, that's super, that's super cool. And I also feel like your kind of motto or that I've been seeing is just like adapt, adapt, adapt. Like, I feel like at every beginning of your, you know, in venture, there's always some sort of thing that you have to adapt to. And I feel that's really cool and beautiful. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Think, think about it as a mechanism. Okay. So the mechanism to work well needs some sort of uh, lubricant okay so i decided to be the lubricant <laughs> yeah so the mechanism the mechanism can work but yeah. it cannot work without the lubricant yeah so the lubricant is much 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 smaller than the actual mechanism but without it it can't function yeah no that's a really good way of putting it and also just on a kind of tangential note, I know that you speak many languages and I was kind of wondering, are there, do you do business in all the languages that you speak pretty much or are some of them more, you know, just for on the fun side of things? Yeah, very smart question. So uh, my mother uh, tongue, Italian and Arabic, obviously I use every day because I have company in Italy and, and here. Uh, so those I, I use. English is uh, the world business language. Uh, and, and therefore, I use it uh, every day. Uh, French is uh, the language of diplomacy. Yeah. And since I, I hold um, different positions uh, here in, in boards, and we have contacts with uh, the diplomatic court. Uh, I do use French yeah. uh, quite some time. And then I have Spanish. 
uh, well, I do use uh, Spanish as well. Um, not not in in regular communication, but because uh, I have a free energy presence in Spain. Oh, okay. uh, yes, which is a result of actually my uh, very good relationship with my roommate during my academic travels to Franklin, because he's from Franklin as well, who helped me uh, set up this uh, this uh, infrastructure I have in in Spain, and we're. Obviously, with the pandemic, everything has stopped, but we're picking up actually these these days again. So, you know, I I use Spanish to uh, um, make sure that you know I still I can still communicate. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I do I do use sort of all the languages. What academic travel did you guys room together on? We did Iceland. We did. Uh, uh, the one with Professor Schlein that goes from uh, Brussels, uh, so the, the Benelux countries uh, there. Uh, we did uh, uh, Hungary and Slovakia. Nice. Yeah, so <laughs> absolutely. And, and, you know, whenever I go, when I was a banker and I wanted to go watch the football games in um, uh, Barcelona, I, I'll always thank him for that because uh, he always gave me the tickets for free to go watch very important games. Huh? So that's the Franklin family. Yeah, really. That is the Franklin family in a nutshell, but that is an amazing story. I love that. Um, so before we kind of got into you being on this podcast, you were mentioning um, a new venture actually in pet recycling. And I was kind of wondering, you know, what what you can tell me about that new venture and how's that been going for you um, concurrently? Sure. Uh, let, let me just uh, uh, correct you if I can, yes. because pet recycling, uh, people might think that I recycle uh, uh, small cats and dogs. <laughs> it's PET. PET. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. PET recycling. Uh, for those who don't know what PET is, just look at your water bottle that you buy from the grocery store, that's a PET bottle. The actual bottle itself, not the cap, not the label, the actual clear, transparent bottle. Yeah. Okay, so that's for people to know. So basically, as free energy is, uh, as you say, it adapts. So it's not only a renewable energy or LNG brokerage, but it's actually environmental services as well as consultants. So basically what I did is I built a humongous database uh, of network of people, institutions, but actually also knowledge base. So uh, large multinational companies, when they have to enter the market, instead of uh, uh, opening an office, they commission free energy as a business development company or as a consultant when uh, they have an issue. So I've been uh, exposed now for the last uh, five years to the waste world. Uh, which is a humongous world. Um, what happened is that uh, there is, uh, in Europe, um, starting from maybe the 1st of July, if they don't postpone it due to the pandemic, there will be something called the plastic tax. Uh, the plastic tax is a tax that is paid on the use of virgin plastic, uh, pure plastic. Uh, and... Uh, 
if uh, if you use that, you will have to pay it. Uh, and it ranges between, so the, the, the discussions is between 400 to 1,000 euro per ton. Therefore, the, this is a, a, an EU environmental directive to um, ask the companies, the packaging uh, companies and the bottle producing companies to use more recycled plastic mm -hmm. from a minimum of 30% up to 100%. So uh, what happens is that there is a need for, for this uh, recycled PET, which is actually called RPET. Uh, and there is a huge demand. There is, uh, Google it right now in, uh, in Europe, there is not enough recycled plastic. Yeah. Uh, luckily, luckily, in Egypt, I uh, met the uh, uh someone who lives in lugano so at the end of the day we always go back to lugano who owns a company who owns a holding company that owns four production facilities in europe three in italy and one in uh, poland that needs to buy the rpet mm. okay and uh, and here in egypt they were looking at so here in egypt there are only two uh, RPET washing and recycling plants. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so when we met, we said, uh, "Why don't we do this project together?" Um, because they are the buyer, and uh, I can say that I can be the supplier because I am in the in the waste business uh, here. Um, so your question is, how is that coming along? Yeah. The feasibility study is fully finished. Uh, mind you, I am still using the same model of the feasibility study, which I used in Franklin when I took the entrepreneurship class. And I'll make you laugh even more because the business I had proposed with my very good friends, uh, very good friend, Tomas Conde, Franklin student who lives in Brazil right now, uh, amazing guy. We presented a business plan to set up uh, a network of gas station using liquefied natural gas as a fuel, which is now what everyone is pushing around the world. We presented this idea in uh, back in 2000, summer of 2000, we had that business plan. And the, the model that I use right now, it's still the same one after 21 years. That's crazy. That is so amazing. <laughs> no, because, you know, I, I want to tell you these things because sometimes people from outside think that um, Franklin is just a place where uh, people go to spend time and not really study. Yeah. Okay? I was actually very happy to see uh, I think yesterday that uh, Franklin has an environmental science major uh, now. Yeah. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm very excited about that. Um, so going back to, to where we are with the PET, so we, we finished the business plan, the entire financial feasibility study. We actually do have already the final financial offer for the uh, production plant. And uh, we are actually... Or not we myself is negotiating with the fourth partner uh, the the setup of the company which I hope 
that we reach an agreement uh, within these days and we pay the down payment for the production plant and if we do all of that within 12 months the product will be shipped to italy that's amazing that's so exciting i feel like we got you at a perfect time of like we'll have to touch see how it ends up that's really exciting absolutely and, and i can tell you already the name of the company yes please so, which is another fancy thing since this time i am not alone it's called the ecortec the ecological recycling technologies company nice that has a nice ring to it i like it ecortec ecortec because we could have called it ecortec mm-hmm. okay? but ecortec restricts it to pet when you when you set up a company you always want to know where do you want to go so so why didn't i link uh free energy for example to solar energy you know free solar because no i need to have no boundaries yeah it's free energy you know or it has to be all the energy world uh ecortec all the recycling technology uh world yeah so yeah that's to answer your question that's that's amazing I feel like um, you've given me such an insight to the importance of a name and how fun and exciting it can be. Just simply the name. And I love it. I really. Well, uh, by, by Egyptian law, by Egyptian law, you are required that in the name of a joint stock company to indicate what you do. Oh, okay. This is. Yeah, this is where it comes. So, okay, so what do we do? Okay, so we call it Ecortec, Ecological Recycling Technology Company. Uh, so, yeah, I, but, but now I am, uh, I, am uh, I think, I, or at least I hope I will stop coming up with names because that's, that's my problem. Every, <laughs> every, every few years, I like to set up uh, a company. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there could be worse problems, I can imagine. <laughs> absolutely absolutely that's um really cool i honestly like one of the questions i was going to ask is you know how did franklin help you get where you are but i kind of feel like you know you brought that up throughout your entire journey and it's been really it's really exciting to hear you know about your journey but i guess you know just to kind of tie it all back um you know what would you say that you know, Franklin helped you with in the beginning, you know, like, did it give you a, what kind of sense of life did it provide you with to just know that you could go and do these things, you know? I, I have the answer for you. When I sent my application to Franklin, uh, I remember Miss Karen Ballard left me the, the entire application. Uh, actually, I was already uh, accepted. So I remember in uh, the, the housing request. So my first housing, I think uh, it was a Valfiorita, the one right across the, the campus. Uh, and then I went to Giardino. So in Valfiorita, I remember in the comments, I said, I'd like to house only with Italians or Egyptians. So I come to Franklin and I go and pick up my welcome package. And I see that they put me in the room with a Brazilian and two Saudi Arabians. <laughs> and I go, what is this? They're like, uh, so that you can understand that Franklin 
is a multicultural environment and we do not discriminate. I said, okay, fine. Let me just tell you that I'm still in touch and very good friends with the Brazilian and the two Saudi Arabians. I uh, speak to them at least once a month. Oh, that's okay. So that's my thing. So what did Franklin teach me? Franklin teaches something that has no monetary value. It teaches you how to respect um, all backgrounds, uh, social backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds. There is no space for any type of discrimination any type of discrimination so this then how did it help me i'll tell you how did it help me it helped me that when i went to luxembourg to work in a bank and uh, we went for lunch and we are from three different religions and we go to an italian restaurant and you have someone who's uh, jewish someone who's muslim and someone who's christian and uh, you are so well naturally sitting with all of them because we were all anyways coming from a Middle Eastern origin. This is what Franklin is because it has always taught me to sit with the human person and the human being in front of me, not based on their color, their race, their religion. And I think this has a value you know i think uh, uh, right now in franklin there are probably 57 to 60 different nationalities from everywhere from everywhere and uh, until today we still have these discussions which are extremely smart discussions on politics in the united states in europe you know they're constructive uh so if we need to critique uh, a, a um, political system. It's not because we read on Facebook something or it's not because that president said this or said that. No, it's actually a very solid uh, critique. And I'll tell you something. When I came to Egypt, when I moved back to Egypt uh, and I stayed here, imagine that one of the staff members of the U.S. Embassy of Cairo was actually my very good friend from Franklin. Really? Wow. Absolutely. So, so this is Franklin, living together in Egypt, going to eat Egyptian food like we were in the grotto. Yeah. You know, like, like this brotherhood is something that only Franklin, and I mean it, only Franklin can teach. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. Well... Honestly, I'm so honored to have been able to provide you a platform to tell your story. Like, it's been amazing hearing everything. And I'm so thankful that you agreed to come on this podcast. I think people will really enjoy listening to your um, entrepreneurial entrepreneurship and, you know, passion. And I really can't thank you enough. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Uh... Anyone who, who needs help or needs to, uh, you know, I, I have a very successful story, uh, which is my very good friend, Annabelle Stewart, mm -hmm. who sends me a card every year. She's a Franklin graduate uh, whom I had never met. 
and uh, she needed a mentor when she graduated to start her banking career. She's one of the most successful bankers in London right now. Yay. Okay. And one of the largest uh, uh, global banks in the world. And I remember in the beginning, we used to talk so much, so, so much until she started walking with her feet. So this is also Franklin. Yeah. Use your alumni. Marco, I need, I need an advice. So for me to be on this podcast, it's my honor to be on the podcast because anything I can do to help uh, the Franklin community will always come back to all of us. Yeah. No, it's, it's really cool. One person's victory is everyone's victory, you know, because we all work together in a way to learn from each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, this is what I have on my desk. Our reunion. Yeah. So every time I sit on my desk, I say, ah, we missed it in 2020. We missed it in 2021. 2022 is our year. Yeah. No, I can't wait. I was just talking to another alumni about how excited I am for the reunion in 2022. Should be very interesting. Absolutely. No, no. This is amazing that we we have these uh, type of reunions. So if people want to, um, you know, reach out to you, should they just add you on LinkedIn or how's the best way of going? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They add me on LinkedIn uh, or with uh, Tara. We, uh, we had to work on, on um, setting up this uh, database uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the, the, the pandemic kind of uh, suspended the, all, all the great work that was happening and uh, and uh, uh, so Tara was doing this uh, this very nice business directory um, for Franklin uh, students. Uh, my companies are registered uh, on it, so uh, I yeah people can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, and uh, they shouldn't be afraid. Awesome. Shouldn't be afraid like like you did. You know, just try it, say what you want, what you need, and. Uh, I'll always uh, cut myself some time to help anyone. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it again. We're all one family. Yes, definitely. The Franklin family. <laughs> the Franklin family. Anyone also wants to come visit Egypt, uh, you're more than welcome. This is where I am based, so I, I, don't, uh, I only travel for uh, vacation and to see my family in Italy. So I am based here in Egypt. You want some information you know egypt is a huge growing market in the middle east we are one of the i think only four countries that in 2020 had uh, a growth in it in the gdp hmm. uh, we have an extremely large consumer base because we're 105 million inhabitants so um yeah um lots of infrastructure investment a lot of it uh, and uh we we are trying to shape the country uh, I don't know if you if you watched the Golden uh, Parade of the Pharaohs that we had on April third. But I heard about it. I did not watch it though. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is what we're trying to do. That's amazing. Well, I encourage everyone listening to definitely reach out and get connected and reach out to your alumni and definitely get con- in contact with Marco. Um, it's been a pleasure to meet you, and I really can't again I just can't go on and on it's been wonderful so I really appreciate it 
Thank, thank you very much, uh, Margaret. Uh,